Good evening, Sixers fans. Philly Sports Talk here. And we took a quick break. Uh, you know, we were, Jerry and I have both been really busy, and I have obviously been traveling quite a bit recently. Uh, we're back, uh, special edition, the All-Star podcast, like All-Star break podcast. Today we're going to be doing a 76ers halfway recap and kind of like predictions for the second half. So what's up, Jerry? What's up? I'm excited to talk about the Sixers. I got some some topics, some ideas to bring up to you. I want to see what you think of them. All right. I am really excited to talk about Sixers, too. So, Jerry, let's start off with this question. Do you think the Sixers can hold on to the one seed? Right now, they are half a game above the Nets and around a game and a half over the Bucs. I think it's definitely feasible. Um, the Brooklyn Nets, you would assume that they're going to get KD back sooner or later. Um, obviously, they signed Blake Griffin. Uh, we'll talk about that move specifically in uh in a we'll do a full nba podcast before the nba returns and cover that topic more broadly but um just to gloss over i don't think that's gonna help him that much and but they're still you know he's a good player and kevin durant's a good player they're gonna get those two guys um and i think if they're really pushing for the one seed and going all out trying to get as many wins as they can they could overtake the sixers but um that's really hasn't been the way they're playing so far they don't seem to be valuing the regular season that highly. Uh, like, if you look at their record, most of their wins are coming against, like, good teams. Like, they're they're really showing out in the in the games where they're playing against other good teams. Uh, most of their losses are coming, like, you just take a night off on a road trip against some team under 500. Um, so I think that if they, you know, really, if they see that as a goal and they really want to accomplish it, then they could end up with the one seed. It's kind of like, in their hands more so than the Sixers, you know, the Sixers, they're going to win games. They're going to finish um, with a good record, but the Nets could finish with a great record if they really wanted to. I'm not sure if they do that. Yeah, I agree with the things that you say. And uh, the Sixers, they really should need to get this one seed. And the Nets, I feel like they should want it to definitely get it because like we said in previous podcasts, uh, the one seed will probably not have to play the Bucks or the Sixers until the Eastern conference finals until, I mean, unless if, I mean, if they get there, my bad, a little mix up there, but so, you know, if the Nets or the Sixers don't have to play each other for that first couple rounds, you know, you take a couple of series against bad teams and you're, you're almost kind of well rested going into it, but obviously playoffs are never easy and any team can put up a fight, but there's really only three championship contenders in the East. So, you know, that makes a big gap uh, in the postseason when playoff seeds like four through eight. Yeah, I think you have five, maybe six teams that can make it to the conference finals in the East and three teams that can make it to the finals. Those three contenders to say are, I think, are the Bucks, Nets, and Sixers. But that's not dis- that's no disrespect to the Celtics and Heat. Um, they just haven't quite proven it to me this season. And then you could throw in possibly the Raptors if they hold on to Kyle Lowry or get the right deal for him. Um Maybe even the Pacers, it, when they get T.J. Warren, if they get Karis LeVert back, they could be a pretty good team. But uh, like like I said, those three main teams, I think, should be the Sixers. Uh, they sh- those should be the team that the Sixers are looking at as the real threats. But um, let's talk about the the playoffs and their seven-man or their eight-man rotation in the playoffs because that's more often than not what you're going to be running um, in those playoff situations. Obviously, the starters, you have Tobias Harris, Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid. Seth Curry, Danny Green, and then six-man has been Shake Milton. Um, Dwight Howard, I think, will be in that rotation just 
as the backup center whenever Embiid's off the court, Dwight will be there. So that leaves you with um, Furkan Korkmaz, Matisse Thibel, and Mike Scott pretty much for that eighth-man spot in the playoffs. And I don't think any of those guys are really going to cut it. Matisse can play situationally when you need defense. Maybe if you need a spark, he can come in for some energy. But he's he shouldn't be one of those eight guys who have solidified their spot in the lineup. And same thing with Furkan. He's, he just hasn't been that consistently good this season. Mike Scott interests me. I, I think he might p- potentially be able to fill that role. Maybe we can even see Mike Scott as like a small ball five center. Um, if if Doc Rivers chooses to run those lineups more and if they pan out well for us. But ultimately, you got to get a guy in free agency or, or not free agency in a trade. Um, and I, I think that that guy has to be like a creator, a ball handler, because Shake Millen, he's this season, I think he's been a lot better off the ball as just more of a catch and shoot guy instead of running the offense. He's been he's been a pretty good playmaker. I, I just think that his he's more better suited to be like a shooting guard slash wing and the Sixers should be interested in picking up a guy who can run the offense when Ben Simmons isn't on the floor. All right. And yeah, obviously this bench has probably been the biggest problem. I would say, well, one of our problems, we haven't had that many, but it's probably the biggest one I would say. So you mentioned Kyle Lowry's name, Jerry, a Kyle Lowry trade. Uh, what do you think we'd have to give up? I mean, we're talking, I would say, one, at least one or two first-round picks, and then we're talking a couple players. Uh, at the end of the day, is it worth it? For me, I want Kyle Lowry, and I think it will be worth it. Uh, ultimately, the question comes down to there's, you know, there's two sides of a deal. Is Toronto willing to give up Lowry? It, it seems like from the reports they are, but if they think that they even have a shot at making it to the conference finals, I don't think they will be because he – He's probably going to leave in free agency, but um, he's the best player in their franchise history. I don't know if they want to trade him for Tyrese Maxey or whoever. But um, And then the Sixers have to look at it and say, all right, we're probably not going to be able to afford to re-sign Lowry in free agency unless he takes a pay cut with us just because of the contracts that Tobias Harris, Ben Simmons, and Joel Embiid on. And by the way, Embiid will be eligible for the Supermax if he wins MVP, Defensive Player of the Year, or makes an all-NBA team, which I think you can guarantee that he'll make an all-NBA team. And He's looking like the favorite to an MVP so far. Um, so you're not going to probably be able to pay Kyle Lowry the money he's going to command. So he's pretty much you're, you're trading a first-round pick or two, plus one of your best young guys in Tyrese Maxey, and maybe even Danny Green's going to be in there to match the salaries. Maybe even Mike Scott, who's a, a solid role player, and like I said, might even be in the rotation in the playoffs. Uh, just for this one-year rental of Kyle Lowry, you gotta, you gotta be guaranteed, or you gotta be very confident that you're gonna be a, a real contender, and you're gonna be making it to the finals, or at least you know having a, a long series in the conference finals. If you want to pull that tra- trigger and make that trade, um, I'm not sure if it's worth it. it. It just seems like a bit of a risk because you're throwing away assets for something that's like a one-year experiment. This is, is similar to what happened with Jimmy Butler. You throw away Robert Covington, Dario Saric, and some picks just for Jimmy Butler to leave in free agency in the next offseason. You don't win anything. You lose in game seven in the second round. Uh, if that's what happens with Lowry, it'll, it'll be a massive failure. So I don't know if that's a risk that Daryl Morey and Elton Brand are worth or are willing to take. Okay. And, yeah, so that's going to sideline me to another topic. 
And I don't know how possible this trade would be, but what about Zach Levine? How much does Zach Levine interest you? Because for me, Zach Levine, if we were to get Levine, uh, obviously we're going to have to dump a lot of picks and probably one or two players, including Maxi and Thibault. But I'm not, I'm okay with giving up Maxi. I think people have overhyped him just because he played well to start the season. Uh, but I would love to see Zach Levine in a Sixers uniform, but it would cost a lot. Yeah, Zach Levine, I'm actually, I, I would prefer Larry over Levine. And I'll explain to you why real quickly. Levine, he's a great player, but I, his fit with this team, I have some questions about it. Um, his strengths as a player, he's a good shooter. He can get to the rim. Uh, he's just basically a good on-ball shot creator for himself. He doesn't really do a whole lot of playmaking for his teammates. He has a high turnover rate, uh, just not like a guy who can run the off. He's not a point guard. Um, and the Sixers, they don't really need a guy like that. Tobias Harris pretty much fills that role already. You throw him in the mix, he's just he's just going to be another guy you could throw the ball to and score. And yeah, that'll help your offense out a little bit. But uh, I'm just skeptical of how much it would really benefit the team when you consider getting a guy like Lowry, who he he's not selfish. He'll do all the right things on the basketball court. He doesn't need to have the ball in his hands, but he's capable of having the ball in his hands and playmaking for others. And when you really think about it, you're probably going to be giving up less for Lowry than you will for Levine. Levine, I think, commands like the James Harden deal, probably. Like all the first-round picks, uh, all the young players. So if you're, if you're going to you know, sell off everything just for one player, and I think that Lowry is probably a guy who just benefits the team as a whole more than Levine does. Obviously, Levine will be here longer than Lowry. Lowry will probably be a one-year rental. Levine is probably a guy who's here long-term before making that type of deal for him. But still, I, I'm just skeptical of his fit with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid and how much better he would really make this team when you think of getting other guys who can uh, help the team more for a lower price. Yeah, uh, it's a conflicting situation. Overall, I would like to see a big trade happen, and I'm going to trust whatever Daryl Morey and all those guys do because so far they've done a great job with this team. And Overall, Dre, if we had Zach Levine or Cal Lowry, um, I think we could win the championship this year without a doubt. And I think I would pick us as the favorites, just as a confident Sixers fan. Yeah, I you got to have confidence and you got to take risks if you really want to win a championship. But um, I, I'm, I'm not sure if the risk is worth taking. All right, so anyways, I, I'm going to read off a few stats here. Just try and stay with me. So the Sixers, they're tied for second defensive rating. Uh, I think we can all agree that that end of the floor is solid when you have Ben Simmons locking down pretty much anyone on the ball and then Joel Embiid protecting the rim. That's a recipe for success. But um, on the other side of the ball is where it gets a little bit more complicated. So the Sixers are eighth in true shooting percentage, so they're a pretty efficient scoring team. But they're 26th in turnover rate, uh, so obviously that's not good. And they're only 25th in assist ratio, which isn't really that important. But I think it kind of says a lot that there's not a lot of shot creation on this team. There's not a lot of guys. There's not a lot of ball movement. It's just it's kind of stagnant. There's not a lot of assists going around. There's too many turnovers. Um, and also, they're 28th in three-point attempts per game. But they are 15th in three-point percentage. So maybe you want to see them take a few more threes and increase their offens- offensive efficiency that way. Now, with all those things considered, you would think, like, if they're shooting the ball well, 
they're, they're ninth in offensive rebounding. Uh, they're first in the league in free throw attempts per game. You would think that's that should be a pretty solid offense. Well, they're only 14th in offensive rating, so like middle of the pack, slightly above average. Um, and that's because of the turnovers. Like I said, they're 26th in turnovers, 25th in assists per game. So if if you just like put those two things together, it kind of, I think to me, it screams out that the Sixers need a guy who can run the offense. Ben Simmons does a good job when he's on the floor, but he's playing 34 minutes a game. Uh, that's 14 minutes off the floor where it's just a pretty much absolute train wreck at times. So I think that the Sixers' number one trade priority, even over Kyle Lowry, Zach Levine, and Kyle Lowry would kind of fill this role if we were to get him. But uh, a guy like George Hill, who can run an offense as a point guard, or he can also shoot the three, just you know, one of those guys who you're comfortable with putting the ball in his hands. Uh, he's not going to turn the ball over a lot. Um, just like a, a solid backup point guard to add to the rotation who can shoot the ball a little bit, play a little bit of defense. And obviously that's easier said than done to just go out and pick up one of those guys out of nowhere. But that to me should be like the team's number one trade priority, someone who can play point guard when Ben Simmons isn't on the floor. Yeah, uh, at 76ers, if they were to make a big trade, then it would definitely help our chances of winning this year, maybe hurt some in the in the upcoming years, but let's talk about this now. So the Sixers, if they were to not make a trade now, that's boring. If they were to make like a tiny trade for the bench, one or two, that's, you know, that's included with this, but if the 76ers were not to make a large trade, I still think they're in the running for a championship, but I think they're in the lower, like the lower end of the teams, like with the Suns and teams like that, who have a very slim chance. I think they have a better chance than the Suns, but coming out of the East uh, right now, if I was an expert, I would say the Sixers were losing the Eastern Conference Finals with the team they have right now. Yeah, I, I can't disagree with the things you said. Um, I just, I really think that you, that should be the number one priority. Just getting a guy, and Kyle Lowry, like I said, he would be this guy if they were to make a big move and get him. But if you don't want to take that risk, then get a guy like George Hill, who's playing in Oklahoma City and they're not really a playoff contender. Get a guy like Devon Wright in Detroit. Uh, Ray John Rondo in Atlanta, even though uh, you might be skeptical of how he's playing this season, he always turns it up in the playoffs. Uh, just a move like that, I think, would help out the Sixers so much offensively, just unlocking some of that bench. Like, when, let's be honest here, when the bench is out there on the floor it, and they're on offense, those possessions are just like, I'd rather scrape a chalkboard, watch paint dry. Uh, I rip my hair out, any of the above. It's it's very painful to watch, especially when you have like Furkan Korkmaz playing point guard. Um, and if you get a guy like George Hill who can run those lineups and help your offense out a little bit, stay afloat when Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris aren't on the floor, uh, that'll help the team out a lot. Seth Curry, he was kind of advertised to be that guy a little bit before the season. He hasn't really been that way. Um He's been more like an off-the-ball catch-and-shoot player, uh, which I'm fine with. You know, if he's knocking down shots, I can't complain, which he really hasn't been lately. But I, we'll talk about that in a second, I guess. But uh, just like I said, George Hill would be the best one in my eyes. But there's any number of guys in the league who you could go out and get just someone who can run the offense and just not turn the ball over a lot and create some opportunities 
when Ben Simmons isn't on the floor. That's all I'm asking for. Yeah. And the last thing I really want to mention, Jared, I think at this pace, and I th- I'm going to predict right now, Joel Embiid is going to win the MVP. Yeah, it's a fair prediction. He's currently like the all-time leader in player efficiency rating, PER, which is like an advanced stat that like combines pretty much your whole box score and like compares it to league average. It's a really complicated formula, but uh, if he's he's higher than Wilt Chamberlain was, and Wilt Chamberlain put up some of the biggest box score numbers of all time. Uh, so you can tell he's doing something. He's really having one of the greatest big man seasons of all time if he keeps up this pace. What he's doing is historical, and he should be the MVP in my eyes. Uh, he's He's been efficient, shooting the ball 41% from three, at 54% on twos. Uh, we know what he does as far as free throws, getting the line a lot and hitting those. Rebounding, 12 rebounds a game. Um, he's a great rim protector. Our defense is clearly better when he's on the floor. And he's scoring 30 points a game, which is second in the league behind Bradley Beal. Uh, and, you know, that's just the basic stuff. Like, just looking at the typical box score numbers, it goes so far beyond that when you look at, you know, all the underlying stuff, how much he really benefits this team and how much he really contributes to our winning. But this guy, he's just having an incredible season. Uh, I believe I'm on the record saying, and I, I just felt this way for a while, that Embiid, if he could stay healthy for a full season, he would be an MVP candidate. And he's proven that to be an understatement this year even. Uh, just playing like one of the best players in the league. I think he is a top five player in the league when healthy, obviously. But, man, he's just completely blown away everything I expected of him. And I had high expectations for him coming into this year. I, I can't understate how great this guy has been at basketball. And at this pace, he's going to... He's going to go down as one of the all-time greats. Yeah, and I've seen some people even saying that he could be a top-five center of all time. And that's going to be super, super, super hard to do. But that's just going to show how high the expectations are from with how he's playing right now. But, and Joe, the last thing that I have, uh, Ben Simmons, he's a serious defensive player of the year candidate at this point. Do you think he could win defensive player of the year over some of these other names? Because... Honestly, even if he was the most deserving for it, I don't think he's going to get it. You know, I honestly, I th- I feel like Embiid, we just got done talking about him. I feel like he doesn't get enough credit for this discussion. I think Embiid is actually like a legitimate defense player of the year candidate, but that's a whole other uh, thing to get into. Ben Simmons, he's 24 years old, first of all, um, and he's locking down everybody's favorite player. Um, whenever the opposing team has a good score, a good playmaker, a, any good offense player, Ben Simmons is assigned to him, and that's the end of the story. The only player I can remember having a good game against him all year pretty much was Devin Booker in that Phoenix game. And I talked about this at the time, but I don't really think that was his fault. Uh, if you really want to understand why, you can go back and listen to that podcast, but I'm sure nobody's going to do that. But um, he <laughs> he really... Like, just for example, that Dallas game against the Mavs, uh, he really just took them out of it because Luka is their entire offense. And when Luka's guarded by Ben Simmons, he's not doing what he wants to do. And uh, that just takes away their pretty much everything they want to do on offense. It goes through Luka. And if he's not able to do what he wants to do, 
that's uh, because of Ben Simmons guarding him, then they're not going to win the game. So he's contributing to wins. Uh, you look at the game, the Utah game, right before the All-Star break, where he just locked up Donovan Mitchell. Mitchell had like 30 points on 30 shots. It was a terrible efficiency night for him. And even with all the rest of their players hitting all those threes, Ben Simmons was able to take out the best guy. And that's so important. Like, uh, I think it's kind of understated. Like, he can guard any position pretty much and just take them out of the game. Whoever the other team's best player is, they're almost a non-factor when Ben Simmons is on the court with them. Yep. And it's just amazing to have superstars like this on your team. So that's going to wrap this podcast up. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Thank you.